Amen. So we're coming to the end of our series on growing young, growing with Jesus. But realistically, this is really just the end of the beginning. We are, are looking to take on these core commitments that we've been speaking over over the last six or seven weeks, and we're looking to embed them into church, into our structures, into our ministries, into everything that we do, so that we are, we're really looking outward. We're looking for what God has got for us in this next spell. We were on a, a Growing Young conference on Friday night and yesterday, and one of the other ministers was speaking about you know, the, the, the trials that the Church of Scotland as an institution is going through, very real problems. And, and if, we don't, if we don't turn the ship around, things will change. But we believe that God is in control. I firmly believe that throughout all of this, we've had a real sense that, that God has been guiding us and leading us, and, and the fact that we can be here with the technology we have and all that kind of stuff has been hugely important. But also how, as church, we have, I think, I think, and I, I, I don't have any, you know, kind of evidence for this, but I think that, that God has bound us tighter together in the midst of this in the midst of this pandemic, that God has been doing things in our own lives and in the life of church that means that we can reach out to, to more people, but also that we are taking the time and the opportunity to bind ourselves closer together. And I believe that for the future, we continue, we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to look outward and we continue to bind ourselves together, to hold each other to hold each other accountable, to be sharing together, to loving on each other, and doing life together. So as we think about growing young, as we think about these core commitments, we recognize that this is the end of the beginning. And you'll hear me, maybe we'll do this sermon series once a year, because the truth of the matter is, I'm going to go through a recap this morning of the things that we've talked about, and you're probably thinking, I've never heard that before. When did he talk about that? Or what? what? I, must have been, I must have been away. But the truth is, by the, the, the method that we have of sharing and teaching, and, and house groups are, are wrapped up in this, but for someone to speak for 20 minutes and you're receiving on a television or a laptop or a tablet or whatever, you know, maybe the, the, the evidence is that half of 1% goes in. So I'm going to communicate and I'm going to communicate, and I'm going to over-communicate, and I'm going to, hopefully, by the point you go, is he still going on about that growing young stuff? Then we'll recognize that it has got in, and we're beginning to live it out. So, that wasn't even part of the sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm just got a sense that that's what we needed to hear. As we come to the end of this series, my hope is that we've really wrestled with what it means to enter into this journey together of growing young. This is just the end of the beginning, I've said it already, but in truth, this is a continuation of the journey that we've been on together for the last 20 years. 20 years. Well, I, I've been here about 19 years. We sense God's leading in all of this, and that is what it's got to be all about, that what God is saying to us as we step forward in faith. 
This has been the journey that we've been on for the last, say, 20 years. But this is also the journey that we look for for the, at least the next 20 years. About passing on the baton, about living for the next generation. This is the hope for the present and our hope for the future of church here at St. John's. So I want to dive into Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses to just think about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. It, it came rushing through. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them? in our native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This was the Holy Spirit sending them out, sending them out to all the nations. It was the Tower of Babel in reverse, if you like. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? And of course, some, however, made fun of them, saying they've had too much wine. But this is at nine o'clock in the morning. You'd have to get up pretty early to do that. Peter then addresses the crowd. He, sta he stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully at what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. This is our prayer for the world today, for the folks who follow Jesus, the sons and daughters, the young men, the old men, all ages, all sexes will rise up and speak and prophesy to God of what God's doing in our lives across the nation, but they will dream dreams and have visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, sun turned to darkness and the moon of blood. Wow, what's, what's all coming? Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow, things were moving, things were changing. It was just amazing what happened on the day of Pentecost. But I wonder if you've ever compared chapter one to chapter two. I wonder if you've ever looked back at chapter one, especially at verse 26, where they're talking about selecting one of the disciples to replace Judas. And they have a typical church meeting. They go through all the pros and cons, they, 
weigh up and then they draw lots. They draw lots to pick the next disciple. It's, it's mad, isn't it? Matthias is picked. And then it's like God says, hold on, we're not doing it this way. Let's disrupt this all up. Let's get, let's get this party go. And the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit disrupts and sends them out so that they're not going through the motions. They're not doing what seems to be right. They're doing what God deems right. And they go and the disciples bring the gospel to the nations. They give up their lives in sacrifice for the gospel, for the good news. If ever there was a proof that the resurrection truly happened, it was this. These, these disciples, these fishermen, these tax collectors, these zealots who'd gone back to their old ways were turned around and sent out by what God did in their lives. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our meetings. Kirk Session, we need that Holy Spirit to come in and work in us. So, we've spent these last six weeks thinking about these core commitments. I wonder if you can remember them. But these are the ones that we're committed to bringing in our church life and our structures. I want to just tell you a wee story. There was a, 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 a woman, we're going on to keychain leadership, that's why I'm speaking about keys. But there was this lady who was always forgetting her keys, and she was always losing her keys, and it, it drove her husband mad. So there was one time she was at the, the shops, and she was looking, she'd done her shopping, she'd, she'd been in, in various places, she'd meeting friends and coffee and whatnot. She, she came out to the car park, and she looked in her bag for her keys, and could she find her keys anywhere? No. She was, she was looking and she was looking and she could not find them. She was worried that she'd dropped her keys. Someone else had picked up her keys and had taken her car. And as she looked across the car park, right enough, she could not see her car anywhere. So she called the cops. She phoned the police and said, someone has stolen my car. They've got my keys and they've stolen my car. And then with trepidation, she phoned up her husband and said, darling, I've got some bad news. I've lost my keys again, and someone's stolen the car. And her husband said on the phone, what are you talking about? I dropped you off at the shops. And there was an embarrassed silence, and she kind of went, oh, right. Well, could you, could you come and collect me? And he said, well, I will, once I convince this policeman that I didn't steal your car. Keys. Keys are fascinating things, aren't they? Keys are fascinating things because they get you into places, they open up cars, they open up houses, they open up safes, they open up all sorts of stuff. Keys, although, you know, like they're changing into cards or, or you know, doofers on your phone or on your keychain, but keys open up things. And we as influencers and leaders own a set of keys that I think we're called to give out, we're called to share. We want to think about this in, in church leadership, that we unlock keychain leadership.
we're all leaders, but as we serve, we know that where we're meant to serve, we receive authority and access. If you're in charge of the young people's ministry, for example, if you're in charge of Jam or if you're helping out in Sunday Club, you have a set of keys that is authority to teach these young people. You have authority and access and power. And you can hold on to these keys or you can let other people have access to these keys too. The keys we have either let people in or keep people out. To grow ministry in church and in people, we need to let them in. As we serve, we need to see that the keys we have, we can give away. And we need to be intentional in giving away so that we empower and we entrust others. We can give our keys. and. and and if you're thinking, well, what keys do I have? Well, where do you serve? And how can you let others in? How can you give access to reach the younger generations? There are, there are four types of, of leaders that are involved with keys. There are keyless leaders. These are the ones who are desperate to help but, but can't get in because someone else is not letting them in. There are the key hoarding leaders. These are the ones who hold on the keys and don't let anybody else in. There are the key loaning members, leaders. These are the ones who will give you a key for a wee while, but then take it back when you make a mistake. And there are key chain leaders. Key chain leaders who are constantly opening doors and trusting those who are ready, who have maturity, who have real warmth, who know what matters who take the long view and are happy to take a risk and live with folks maybe not doing maybe as well as they could initially. They can live with failure. They are authentic, they're approachable, and they actually care. This is the core commitment that, that we're weakest on as a church. We've discovered so far through our initial church survey that we are not doing this maybe in the way that we could. And so we, we want to concentrate on this at least in the next year or so. So that's number one. Number two, empathy. How we as a church want to grow young, we need to make an effort to understand young people. Now, young people tend to have three questions. The who am I, which deals with their identity. Where do I fit in, which deals with belonging. And what difference do I make? What is my purpose? And the church needs to respond with grace and love and mission to respond to these three questions. The church is in a brilliant place to respond to identity and to belonging and to purpose with grace and love and mission. They answer these three questions. God's grace and love and mission are the best answer to what plagues our lives and also to what plagues young people. So I wonder, would you spend some time with the younger people that are around you? Could you be a mentor, especially if you're asked by one of the young people in church to draw alongside them and feed into them spiritually? Will we be an empathetic church? That's a huge challenge. 
But also, number three, taking Jesus' message seriously is a, is a huge challenge. You remember I spoke about MTD? I don't know if you remember. Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. This is the religious framework that seems to surround young people and us all today. The idea that, that if, if we are generally a nice person, we're, we're good morally, then, then as we do that, we'll feel good about it. It'll be therapeutic. And also that we, we know God is there, but He's not really involved. Deism. God is not personal, but He's just in control, but not interested. This is the framework that pervades so much of our society and our, our Christian church. That if you, if you do good things, you'll end up feeling good about yourself. And, and don't really worry too much about God, because He's there, and He loves you, and you'll be fine. This MTD is toxic to faith, and it distracts people from Jesus because God is not involved in the conversation. Jesus is not involved in the conversation. There's also the golden rule gospel, which is taken from Luke 6, verse 31, that you do unto others as you would have done to yourself. And the problem with these things, while they're close, they're not focused on Jesus, and they're focused on right living acting out how we live rather than right believing. We need the transformation of our minds, the renewal of our minds, Romans 12, verse 2. We need that, and then the life stuff will flow from it. But we need to concentrate on Jesus. As a church, we need to focus it all on Jesus. Whenever anyone speaks to us about religion, bring it back to Jesus and faith in Him, His life, His words. Talk about Him and see, see the redemption story of God that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And we are in that story. We are there. We're not at Revelation yet. We're on the journey with God together with Jesus. And for young people to hear the message of Jesus is vital because it changes changes the whole mindset. It's not about a, a dusty old religion. It's about this dynamic and life-giving Savior. They need to know, when they come to Jesus, they need to know what they're saved for. And church, we need to focus on participation and challenge, as Jesus did. So we take the message of Jesus seriously. And we're pretty good in that one. On the, on the research we've had so far, we're not bad on that one, but we can always do more. Fourth core commitment is fueling a warm community. Warmth is the new cool. Warmth is the lifeblood to flow through the veins of our church. And it goes deeper than just our programs and our structures. Warmth has to be the DNA of our church family. And think about church as family. Church is family. And with family, there comes mess. And as church, we are not perfect. Can I just say that just right now? We are not perfect as church, but we are family. I've, I've spoken about this before, that, that my folks are up in Aberdeen, Donna's folks are in Ireland, and we, we have no family close by in Dalkeith. But the truth is, we have dear family in Dalkeith. 
when things happen to us as a, as a, as a core family, church family holds us up. And that has been true throughout these years. And it will be true for the future as well. And we need to continue to believe and trust that church is family. But of course, families fight. Families argue. There's always that weird one who you, you, you think, oh, about sit next to them today. But you know, you, you love them, but they, they, you're never quite sure what's going to happen. And if there's not one of those in your, then you're probably it. Family, family is awesome. Family can be tough. Family can be weird. But love is, what is it? Blood is thicker than water. And actually, the life-giving blood of Jesus is what holds our family together. And this so helps young people. It helps them find and stick with church because they, they, they're not coming to some perfect place but actually they delight in the messy warmth. It's not neat and tidy, so actually they can share their mess and talk and walk honestly without fear of judgment. Because in all of this, relationship is key. Think about how you came to Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus yet, think about who it is that has drawn you near to Jesus. And you'll discover there is at least one person who has shown Jesus to you in their lives. And there probably is many more. Because relationship is key. This is how, this is how God works. As far as I can see so far in my journey, that God uses other people to draw you closer to Him as well as spending time with Him and developing your relationship with Him. Relationship is key. And young people are searching for warmth that feels like family. And one of the key things that we're going to have to do when, when, when we're all back together, I mean, we're looking at restricted numbers next week, but when we're all back together, we're going to have to get together. There's going to, be, going to have to be social events where we can share, where we can gather, where we can talk, where we can pray, and delight in the family of God here at St. John's. So watch this space. Number five, this is the one where if we don't get this one right, we end up becoming a, an older social club that is just nice and warm and it's a lovely place to be. Number five is where we prioritize young people and families everywhere. The influence of parents is key in the faith of young people. And we as parents, if you are a parent, need to be intentional about faith building, both inside the church and outside the church. But parents can't do it on their own, and they definitely need help from the church. Church and parents, we need to partner together. So if we, need, if we want to prioritize young people, which I think we do, definitely need to do, we need to prioritize parents and family as well. And that will take time, and discussion and effort on both sides. Young people also need to be allowed to take a load-bearing role in our community, to allow them to use their gifts to serve. And as church, we need to strive to build this family of faith. I wonder what can we do just now and in the future? 
What can we do to help families? Because good intentions are not enough. What we say is almost less important to young people compared to what we actually do behind our words. We need to be intentional, and we need to prioritize everywhere. We need to follow Jesus' lead, and we need to reorient ourselves around the young in our community, for those who are here and for those who are not yet here. And last week, we spoke about how we can be good neighbors. How can we be the best neighbors? And to think locally, who are our neighbors? Well, we've got Morrison's across the road. We've got Women's Aid next door. We've got Kings Park School behind us. We've got the bowling club pavilion on the other side. Now, I don't know if you know about the pavilion, but they have folks with learning, learning needs that meet every day. How can we help them? How can we be a good neighbor to them? How can we bless Morrison's, that big multinational that's across the road, but are local? How can we help Women's Aid? How can we help Kings Park School? That's four suggestions just around our physical building. But also as, as followers of Jesus, we need to be the best neighbors to those who live next door to us and across the road from us, but also those who we meet in our work, those who we meet in our retirement, those who we meet when we're pushing the pram, those who we meet when we're walking the dog. How can we be the best neighbors? How can we live lives that demand an explanation? We're not trying to be perfect. We can't be perfect. We'll, we'll strive for it, but we'll fall, fall short sometimes. And also, we're not going to copy or compete with other churches or with culture. We're going to be ourselves. And we're not going to condemn. We're not going to condemn. We want to be a blessing machine we want to love. I mean, one example of this is the flower bomber. I don't know if you've heard me speak about the flower bomber or you've seen it on Facebook, but we have a flower bomber who sends to the, to the house, our house, uh, a bunch of flowers most weeks, and, and they would love us to then send them to someone who's in need that we know about, which is a wonderful idea. Then they've been listening to the, the, the sermons and the, the series on Grown Young, and this week, the flower bomber became the fudge giver. He or she brought us a big box of fudge from Fife, and, and what they said was, please give these treats to the young people in our church. And so we had great fun on Friday, Don and I had great fun going around some of the young folks that we know locally and, and passing on the fudge that came from the flower bomber. Just one amazing example in lockdown of how to be the best neighbor. We want to honor the good. We want to strive for a church that's multi-generational, multi-racial, and from all economic backgrounds, so that we can make Dalkeith better in our own way. And also, we can help our young people discern where they are called to serve. So, those are the six core commitments. And the question is, what now and what next? We need to think about how we embody these six commitments in our context and recognize that there is no silver bullet. We can't simply hire people and they will then come in and solve all our problems. 
It's going to take dedication, it's going to take discipline, and it's going to take hard work. It's not easy. It's not going to be quick. But change is possible. This is the small steps on a long journey. And I think we begin with listening. I think that's what we do just right now. We listen. Who do we listen to? First and foremost, we listen to God. We invite Holy Spirit in. We listen to young people. We listen to our young church volunteers. We listen to the older generations in church. We listen to our church neighbors. We listen to our community of Dalkeith. And we begin where we have influence. We experiment. We be attentive with discipline. We need to create some plans. We need to be ready for conflict and failure. And we need to enjoy and leverage the small wins that we have. We need to think long, long term. And this applies to our Kirk session. If you're a member of the Kirk session, you need to be thinking about how we can take these on board as a church leadership. If you're part of the young church, maybe you need to be thinking about who you can be investing in for the future. If you are in all the generations, and you will be in one generation in this church, then you need to think about what it is you can be doing. We're all con contributors. We're all family. We all have a voice, and we all have a role. We all have a ministry. There's a nursery in Canada that displays this sign on the wall. The best time to plant a tree is 25 years ago. The second best time is today. So starting today, start planting and be disciplined in it because there is a price to pay to reach the next level. American playwright Sidney Howard remarked, one half of knowing what you want is knowing what you must give up before you get it. Be willing to start with small things. At first, our gains will be small, but they will grow. The difference between the gold medal and the other contestants is just often a hundredth of a second. As we want to move forward, it will always involve some degree of risk and failure, and growth and experimentation are encouraged. And know that we can always do better, but anything you've done in a particular way for a particular time can always be done better. Get out of the rut that you may find yourself in. Listen to the Father. Let Holy Spirit disrupt things and let Him send you out, just as the disciples were sent out. In closing, I just want to share one more story from the, the Growing Young book. It's about a woman called Vonda. Her, her church was in a place called Volga in the U.S., and they were on the growing young journey. And as they were on the growing young journey, Vonda decided to, to take things on board. She was a school teacher, but she was also a, a Sunday school volunteer, and she was involved with the young people. And what she began to do was begin Bridge Sundays. It wasn't playing bridge. It was about bridging the gap between the generations. And she would invite everyone to share together in food and just share in conversation. She would she'd put the young people next to older folks and all sorts of stuff. And this happened for quite some time. 
and nothing seemed to change. It was all very nice. But she began to invest intentionally with the young people. And one of the things she did was she invited some of the young people to go for a game of golf with Trudy. And Trudy was 90 years old. And the young people were like, what? We're going to destroy her. But actually, Trudy was quite the golfer. And when she sunk a 30-foot putt, all the young people were celebrating and jumping up and down. And these little wins made all the difference. Eventually, the church entrusted the young people in a prayer service. The pastor was very much on board with Vonda, and there was a prayer service, and the pastor invited the young people to pray for the older folks in the church. And that was where something definitely changed. It was where the older generations recognized that the young people were full of faith and were loving on the church as they prayed for the people in the church. And they are a thriving, multi-generational church today. We need to do small things and keep doing the small things faithfully to see that God will make such a change in us, in those who are not here yet, in the older folks and in the young folks, that God will grow us in all ways as we listen to His discerning. Acts chapter 2, Peter and the disciples were changed forever. The church was really born that day. So ask for dreams and visions. Listen to what God and the world is saying. Ask for dreams and visions. Put yourself at the back of the queue and pass on the baton. As we grow with Jesus, we want to see God at work in our midst. Let's not be dams. Let's not be dams to the Holy Spirit. Let's be channels and allow him to fill us up and overflow and let God work in the overflow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. But Lord, we know that we want to see more. We want to receive more from you. So, Lord, we are open and ready. We want to delight in you to receive the desires of our hearts. May we be ready. May we be pliable to receive all that you're going to do in this next season. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.